This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Let's go back in time to 1932 as Converse brings you historic footage of the legendary original Celtics with whom all great professional teams are compared. We have now taken over your radio. Richie Guerin is about to show you the most important step in getting past a man. It's the first one. And Oscar will inbound it. The men in green, the Milwaukee Bucks, that's Al Cinder against Bellamy. Hello and welcome to the Over and Back Classic NBA Podcast. I am Jason Mann and joining me today is uh, Jared Dubin. He is uh, Editor Emeritus of Harvard Paroxysm, host of Quo Vadimus on the uh, HP Network along with us. Uh, Jared, uh, welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me back. I appreciate it. So uh, we are going today going to talk about uh, Gary Payton and uh, talk about his uh, case for being one of the top 50 players of all time. Uh, he is a former defensive player of the year, nine times on the all defensive first team, uh, 27th all time in win shares, 101st in win shares per 48, 48th in box plus minus and 21st in value over replacement player. Twice on the All-NBA first team, five times on the second team, twice on the third team. Actually, was third in 1998 MVP voting, which I didn't realize he'd ever finished that high. Uh, eighth all-time in assists, fourth in steals, uh, also the third most technical fouls. Um, not necessarily the case for him, but uh, certainly uh, gives you a sense of what he did. Um, he was, uh, he, he had two seasons among the top 10 in win shares for 48, seven times in win shares, uh, alone, uh, six times in a value of replacement player. And in the, uh, we decided to take a look at some of the other, uh, rankings, uh, how they've looked at him on the, uh, Bill Simmons, uh, pyramid of players. He's 41st and on the slam 500, he is 39th. Uh, those are the, uh, basic, uh, numbers as far as they go, um, so, Jared, what do you think makes uh, Gary Payton a contender for the top 50? Not a lot of point guards are known for their defense. Um, you know, especially now, 
it's very hard to to have a hugely positive impact uh, defensively from the point guard position just because of you know the rule changes that have been made to sort of give point guards freer reign of the court and, and access to more different areas on the floor. Um, a lot of that, I feel like, was in response to the fact that Gary Payton would just... I can curse on this, yeah, it's, it's our network. Um, Gary Payton would just beat the fuck out of ball handlers if they were trying to get by him. Um, he was so physical at the point of attack, and you know, for such a long time, he was the best defensive player at his position. You know, like you said, he was a, a defensive player of the year, one of, I think, now three perimeter players in the last, like, 30 years to, to be uh, a, a defensive player of the year, nine-time All-NBA defensive first team, uh, all-time leader in steals. Just, you know, just on that end of the floor, he had such a positive impact. And then when you add in the fact that for, you know, like a, an, an eight- or nine-year stretch, he was averaging also 20, 20 points and eight assists a game and was one of the better rebounders at his position – he just did so many things so well that, you know, I, I, I don't see any way you could have the list without him. Yeah, and, uh, you know, in addition to, you know, of course, the, uh, the the great defense, also, you know, a very good scorer uh, for a point guard and also very versatile and, you know, had incredible durability. I mean, really missed only a handful of games for most of the season of his career. He was a little bit injured in his last season, but, you know, he um, – Basically, I don't think ever played fewer than uh, seventy-seven games up until his uh, up until his final season. So that's obviously you know incredible durability, um, and um, I mean, really, the only weaknesses that I saw is you know, he wasn't really a great shooter. Um, and this is a personal one for me. He he uh, was traded to the two thousand and four two thousand and five Hawks, but refused to play for them. Uh, that that's, right. that was the first team that I uh, ever. Uh, followed in uh, in the nba so um so for for that i'm going to knock him down a point but um you know looking at kind of uh some of the deeper stats um compiled by my co-host rich Kreitch, who couldn't be here tonight um you know kind of com- comparing to uh his era in the position you know he's 47th in points per 36 uh 57th in assists per 36 which is uh lower than i would have expected although you know he, he was obviously a, a great assist man um 46th in steals per 36, uh, 13th in uh, win shares per 48, and uh, second in uh, defensive win shares uh, behind Jason Kidd. And um, among all-time players, uh, 143rd in points per 36, 113th in assists per 36, uh, 101st per in uh, steals per 36, 24th in win shares per 48, and 5th in defensive win shares uh, behind uh, Kidd, Stockton, Bob Cousy, and um, Kobe Bryant. Of course, this is all guards, not just point guards. Um, so, you know, the only thing for me that would maybe keep him off the list is that you, you, point guard is a pretty strong position already, and I, and I don't know exactly... I think he's kind of solidly in that second tier. Like that first tier, I think, you know, is Magic, Oscar Robertson, John Stockton. Uh, and then that next tier, you're talking about Nash, Kidd, Peyton, Bob Cousy, uh, Chris Paul, Walt Frazier, Isaiah, you may, maybe Chauncey Billups and uh, Kevin Johnson, you know, d- d- depending on your point of view. So that's, you know, um, that's 11 players right there. Um 
you know, and, and, and not that there's, you know, you're not going to necessarily take exactly 10, but it'll be, I would think it would be somewhat near that number. So, you know, kind of where do you think he sort of stacks within that, uh, you know, that, that tier of guys? you think he's kind of toward the top or more toward the bottom or, you know, uh, thinking about that? Yeah, I think it's sort of in the middle. Um, I think that that's something that plays into why he's a little bit overlooked in these discussions. Because when you look at like the great point guards of their era in you know the, the 80s and the super early 90s, it was Magic and Isaiah. And then by the time you got into like the, the mid to late 90s, it was Kidd and Stockton. And Peyton kind of straddled the two, but was never necessarily the number one guy at the position. So it's sort of like he fell into uh, this, you know, his, his career went from, I think he was drafted in 1990 and he lasted until 2007. Um, you know, kid came along right at the beginning of his career. Stockton was already there for a little bit. Uh, but those were the guys that were sort of the best point guards of the, of that time. And Peyton sort of was just like, he's also really, really good. Um, and never sort of broke into the top two discussion what because there were already those guys that were there. Um, and I think that's why he's sort of firmly behind, you know, at least those, um, you know, four guys and Oscar Robertson in, in terms of all time, all time point guard lists. I think Chris Paul probably is ahead of him too. But then you're looking at that next year with, uh, you know, the Kevin Johnson types. Um, and it, coincidentally, another one of my favorite players of all time, Kevin Johnson, um, I think Peyton is right in the mix with those guys starting in like the, you know, the seven to 12 range. Yeah. I, I mean, that makes sense to me. I mean, the guy who I, I, I sort of looked at, uh, compared him to, uh, Walt Frazier, who, um, you know, I, I think is similar in a sense of, you know, both were elite defensive, uh, point guards. You probably the two best defenders, um, on this list. I, I know Stockton was pretty strong too. And, and Paul for his size and all, but I, I, I I would uh, I would guess that it probably would be Frazier and Peyton would be number one and two here. Um, Peyton did have more longevity; he had actually a much better assist rate. Um, they had very similar scoring rates and shooting percentage. Uh, steals, turnovers, and rebound rates were all very similar. Uh, Frazier had a strong uh, free throw rate and slightly better on the uh, glass. So you know, picking between them, I think Frazier may have had slightly stronger peaks. Although you know. Um, yeah, for one or two seasons, I think Peyton was, you know, just, you know, a had a couple of really stout all time point guard seasons, especially uh, 98. Um, I mean, he just had some really strong. He did have some really strong seasons. He really did. Um, I mean, he was clearly the best player on his team. I mean, you know, Kemp and Shrimp, and they had good players around him, certainly. And those Sonics teams, you know, even though they only made one finals, were, you know, had a good, strong, you know, five, six year run of having, you know, really good teams. They just were in a loaded, competitive Western Conference. So, um, yeah, I, I get the sense that he is probably going to be, he'll be very close. He, I, I think there's a good chance that he gets in. But I think he's definitely going to be kind of in the 45 to 50 range of one of the last guys who, um, you know, who, who we decide. But really, you know, everything other than shooting, I mean, he was pretty – he was either very good or pretty great at. And that's uh, it's, that's a hard case to um, beat, especially when you're talking about doing it for a long time and also having, you know, a really good peak. Yeah, I think sort of the length of his peak is something that works for him too. 
I would say he probably had like a one, two, three, six, almost like a nine-year peak from '94 to 2003, where he averaged over that period of time uh, 21.4 points, 4.6 rebounds, 8.1 assists, 2.1 steals per game. Shot 46% from the field, went to the line four and a half times a game. And again, he made first team all defense, I'm pretty sure, in every one of those seasons. Yeah. Um, um, or I, all of them except the last one. He didn't make it in 03. Mm-hmm. Um, that's incredible. Like, it, it doesn't get much better than that. Um, so I, I think that that works in his, in his favor, too. But then you even look at, um, you know, that side of it. Jason Kidd's peak was even longer, um, just just at, at you know, '90s point guards. Um, you know, Kidd was peaking for another, what three, four years after that. Mm-hmm. I mean, the is, the guy was a freak of nature. Um, but you know, um, for for me, it's more you know the reason I wanted to talk about Peyton. Uh, for this series that you guys are doing is because him and and Penny Hardaway just for me were the guys that you know I discovered that I could love players who weren't on the Knicks <laughs> like those were the two guys that did it for me you know my my formative basketball memories was all like heartbreak with like the the 92 93 94 95 Knicks seasons um you know that was when I was you know between 5 and 8 years old um, and then the next two years was, you know, the Magic were in the finals, and I, and I loved seeing what Penny could do. And then especially seeing Peyton go back and forth and talk shit with Jordan and, like, even sometimes on certain plays get the better of him. Like, he had that one play where it was a steal and he had the dunk, like, while Jordan was trying to, to block it from behind in the finals, and then Peyton, like, turns around and says something to him and gets teed up. Like, I remember watching that and just being like, this is awesome. Somebody is going right at Michael Jordan and you know really going toe to toe with him and doing things that you know like Starks would try to do that from time to time too but Jordan would always get the better of him um to to see Gary Payton do that and like on some plays give it to Jordan better than he could get it um was one of the things that I was like this is really um, I love this guy so much. Yeah, and late in that, um, late in that '96 Finals, uh, around Game Three or so, was when Peyton started defending Jordan and really did limit him significantly. You know, for, for the rest of that series, of course, the, you know the Bulls pulled it out, but it, after winning the first three games, it did get you know a little bit scary there for the uh, Bulls and Peyton certainly. Um, you know. Uh, not maybe not shut him down exactly, but was certainly able to um, make him work for it. And he was definitely a guy, you know, was was willing to go after Jordan and was really and was um, willing to um, you know take on that that task. You know, even though he had so many other responsibilities. And he team. was like not coming out of the game at all either. He right. was coming out of the game for like a minute or two mm-hmm. per half and coming right back in like LeBron style this year. He just. You had to have him on the floor, and I think in the, in the series before, when they played Utah, it was like that too because Stockton was on the floor like the whole game, and you couldn't have Stockton out there without Peyton out there, and it became sort of the same thing in the finals. Like whenever Jordan was on the floor, Peyton was on the floor too. Right. Um, 
yeah, it, um, there's something liberating about watching, ba- discovering that you can watch basketball that you don't have like in a, a huge emotional attachment to the wins and the losses. Like I remember that point as a kid as well. Like just finding like, okay, I can like this player and I can like this, um, and you know, and I, and I don't have to like live and die by the moment of what happens in um, because I can actually enjoy this just for like because it's fun and exciting as opposed to I'm rooting for my team or you know that sort of thing. Oh, definitely. You know, like I I got into it, you know, because I would sit there with my dad, um, at, because he was obviously is a big Knicks fan as well. And, you know, we would watch those games um, because, you know, they were always going deep into the playoffs. And then finally, the next two years, he, you know, by that time, I'm nine and ten years old. And, like, I know the Knicks are out and he's still sitting there watching these games. And I'm like, wait a minute, the season doesn't end when the Knicks season is over. And, <laughs> and I'm watching, you know, like I said, like Penny Hardaway and, and Gary Payton go up in in the finals of teams that. You know the the Knicks had lost to the Rockets in '94, and then I, I watch uh, Penny and Shaq go up against them in '95, uh, and, the, and then the following year, you know, the Knicks. Are, I know the Knicks are always playing against the Bulls. Um, you know, by this time I'm 10 years old, and like I know Michael Jordan is, you know, what he is, and it it was just so much fun to see a guy that could go up against him that wasn't on my team. Like you said, I didn't have to live and die with it, but just see somebody really go toe to toe. Um, with a guy that by that point I I knew was, you know, not just a, a guy that tormented me and my dad, but the the greatest player of all time, and and to see a guy who was so sure of himself, and to be able to to go up against him and and take it not just on one end of the floor, but both was just really incredible for me. Yeah, yeah. I um also worth mentioning is uh, you know he hit the uh, big shot in the uh, 2006 finals when he was with the Heat to uh right. to, to pull that series out as well. So has has some clutch shots in his resume, you know. I, that series I actually cuz I was in school at the University of Miami at the time. Ah. So I had sort of an up close and personal look at that team a little bit too because um one of my friends from college um happens to to be a a very come from a very wealthy family and they had seats at the first row right behind the heat bench. They've had season tickets there for his whole life, basically. So we would go to games throughout that season and literally just be sitting there right behind the heat bench, talking to players all the time. Um, the, the way the heat's locker room setup is, is they have to walk past those seats to get into the locker room. So we'd get like fist bumps from all the guys throughout the season. Gary Payton, obviously being one of them. Um, you know, I obviously do not like the heat for Pat Riley reasons, but I loved Payton so much that, um, you know, I, it was worth it to see him win that finals. But I, I do have um, two great Gary Payton stories that, I want to get out there before I forget because I know you have uh, another podcast to tape in 15 minutes or so. The uh, the first one, um, I think it was in the 99-2000 season or, or 2000-2001. Whatever it was, I was uh, 12 or 13 years old. Um, the, the Sonics were playing the Knicks in Madison Square Garden. Um, by this point, the I can't remember if the Knicks were still... Yeah, they were still pretty good at this point. It was the year after they went to the finals, I guess, so 99-2000. Um, 
the the Sonics were playing the Knicks in the Garden, and my friend, uh, his dad, uh, by this point was dating uh, a Knicks City dancer. Um, and my, th- this particular friend, his dad was the president of Pro Player. The the I don't remember know if you remember that company. They used to make like basically were a rival with Starter. Okay. They made like that kind of like sports jackets and hats and all that kind of stuff. So we're sitting there, and like his dad, he had floor seats, and his girlfriend is a Nick City dancer, and Gary Payton is like standing there and like jaw dropping, looking at her during a timeout while there's a dance going on, and my friend's dad sees it and he starts like talking to Payton for a little bit, and then Gary Payton comes down, he makes a basket, and he points at my friend's dad, and he just goes, "Fuck you." <laughs> he only play, he got like hurt or something during the game. He only played like ten or eleven minutes, but just looking at Garrett Payton, looking at my friend's dad, literally pointing at him, goes "fuck you," and then continues play was unbelievable. Nice. Um, then I guess like five or six years later, uh, my sophomore year of college, uh, I come back from being out one night, and we stop at Walgreens. And we see this Range Rover in the parking lot, um, and there is GP stitched into the seats on the headrest, and literally the only other person in Walgreens, other than me and my friends, literally 4.30 in the morning, is Gary Payton buying, like, a massive uh, box of Gatorades at 4.30 in the morning. And we're just standing there behind him in line as he pays for his Gatorades. It's a good time to get a, make a Gatorade run, I guess. It was it was the most <laughs> surreal thing, but his range was awesome. It was black with like a tan interior and GP stitched like into all the headrests. Nice. And like a custom, I can't remember what the custom license plate was. It, oh, it was glove. Ah, well there you go. Which is yeah. Oh, it was it was awesome. <laughs> Oh, that's good. Uh, anything else b- uh, before we go? Yeah, I mean, there was this one pass, I can't remember who it was against, that he made. Um, he It was like a fast break, and he caught the ball like facing backwards from the basket, and in one motion, like caught it and put it underneath his legs to... Um, it wasn't Detlef, but it was another like foreign guy, um, and then put it up for a dunk. That that play, like I specifically remember, just being so wowed that somebody could do that in one motion. There was that, and then I think it was in that conference finals against Utah before they went to the finals uh, against the Bulls. He came down on a fast break, and poor Jeff Hornacek tried to pick him up in transition, like near the free throw line. And Peyton put on this like combination dribble where it was like an in and out and then a behind the back crossover and then a lefty scoop shot over I think it was it was either Olden Polonese or Greg Ostertag, one of the two like jazz centers, that I saw that move and then I like went directly outside the next day and must have practiced that exact dribble to combination lefty scoop shot move for like four hours and I, I don't think I ever perfected it but it was like the move that I wanted to be able to do 
along with like uh, when Jason Williams put the ball around his back and then through his legs. Yeah. Uh, which we talked about on the last podcast I did with you guys. But uh, when, when Peyton pulled that move on Jeff Hornacek and Hornacek almost fell over, I was like, I need to be able to do that to someone. And then practiced it endlessly in my driveway. Yeah. Well, it's a good goal. Oh, my God. I mean, I obviously was never able to, to really do it justice, but it's something where I, I practiced for a very long time and, and tried to put into you know my arsenal of the of the day mm-hmm. yeah. all right uh jared well uh thanks uh, so much for uh your uh, thoughts on uh gary payton and uh everyone of course we are continuing our series looking at the uh top 50 uh players of all time and looking at uh, current players who could potentially join that list so uh thanks everyone for uh checking us out and we'll be back again soon This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.